2: Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 85, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood.
1: And me, Ravi Abbott.
2: And welcome on board if you are a regular listener and tune in every single week. We appreciate you joining us again. And also, welcome if you are a new listener, because, you know, we do get people who just stumble across this show all the time on like iTunes, on YouTube, mainly down to the calibre of guests that we
1: get on this show, I think. Yeah, a lot of people kind of wonder what our show's about, and we do the kind of retro news in the first half but then we have an amazing guest on and we've had 84 guests i I can't believe it every single week and we haven't missed one even though i've been dying on a few of them with illness (laughs) and it is crazy because we started this show i mean we i
2: remember coming up with the concept of this didn't we it was not last christmas year before and like the, the idea was i remember us thinking it was really ambitious that we wanted to kind of document video game history and get a guest on the show every single week. And we have people telling us, oh, there's no way you'll be able to do that. Yeah, oh, oh you'll run out of guests after 10. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and here we are, 84 later. And the reason that we manage to get guests is because there is such a wide era of gaming to cover. I mean, on the show, we talk about stuff from... You know, the mid-70s up to the mid-2000s, really. That's like, you know, over 30 years' worth of games to document on the show.
1: And you know the period that we've been born in, and a lot of our listeners have been born in, has been such a a monumental change in technology and how fast it's increased. You know, it's great to bring you these stories. And today we're going to be bringing you a story about one of the probably most controversial games in history. Now, people think... Grand Theft Auto is
2: controversial, but it's or got nothing on man this. Manhunt, so, you know, yeah. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking to Vince Desi. Now, he is the CEO of Running With Scissors, and the guy behind him, and he actually started with some really interesting games that I'm sure a lot of our listeners were fans of, including Spy versus Spy on
1: the Commodore 64. Oh, yeah, he had an edutainment company that was kind of doing games for... Children's Workshop, you know, Jim Henson's one. and Sesame Street. Yeah, Disney and stuff like that. And he decided to drop it all and kind of become a, a spiky goth and uh make Postal. <laughs> now Postal is a bit of a departure from uh, Big Bird and
2: Grover. Yeah. Slightly different. And today we're going to get the story of how that game came around. And also, you obviously remember back in the late 90s, I mean, it was kind of when video games really got on the radar of the press and you know they're all like especially with games like grand theft auto he had to deal with a lot of kind
1: of you know backlash and controversy. Well, well they took a lot of the blame for kind of school shootings Columbine. And, and stuff like that you know there was a real kind of a assassination against video games maybe mm-hmm. and uh, you know he, we discuss a lot of the points about the controversy and we also talk about the movie as well we talk about the involvement of celebrities like Gary Coleman was in it. You could fight Gary Coleman with a shotgun. It was <laughs> That's crazy. It's <just> insane.
2: <laughs> and also, I mean, we're going to be talking to Vince from his flat in New York City, which is very cool anyway, before he hops on a plane to Germany to go to Gamescom. Now, in this interview, you know, we do ask him, are you going to make a new Postal game? And he says, the world is ready for Postal. The world needs Postal.
1: Yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens. So this is going to be, uh, you know, if you've
2: got kids around, maybe don't explain everything that we're talking about. You know, we, there's, there's no swears, though. We've kept it family-friendly, I
1: think. <laughs> totally, but, uh, you know, we're not afraid to cover the controversial subjects on this podcast.
2: Absolutely, and uh, this is going to be a really interesting one. Definitely worth hanging around. Vince Desi is our special guest on the Retro Hour in around 25 minutes from now. And also, we want to say a huge thank you to the people who allow us to keep bringing you these big guests every week. Because we did say, you know, we've been going 18 months now. Obviously, the Retro Hour is growing every month. But the bigger the show gets, the more expenses there are for us to cover as well.
1: Yes, and also the more time because we have real lives, you know. <laughs> and uh, this kind of takes up uh, quite a lot of our time in the weeks. And uh, I think me and Dan, we, we chat nearly every day constantly online, just... Sharing notes and guests and these ideas. So our supporters are fantastic. They take that pressure off us and we really appreciate it, guys.
2: And doing stuff like live shows that we've done recently and we've got more of those coming oh, up. Oh yeah, well, we're so. gonna be
1: at Play Manchester, aren't we, doing a live show? So Absolutely. So can't wait for that. It's gonna be yeah. huge.
2: Now Obviously, it's nice if Ravi and I don't have to pay for the whole thing out of our own pockets. so we appreciate anyone who makes, you know, even the smallest tip into the tip jar that we've got on our website. All you've got to do is nip to the retrohour.com. There's a little PayPal link there. Every dollar, every euro, every pound, every penny, it all helps.
1: Every Bitcoin. And
2: we've got Bitcoin donations yep. as well. If you don't know, to admit that you're listening. That's completely understandable. <laughs> <laughs> but this week, making the Retro Hour Hall of Fame.
1: James Weiner. Carl Parks... Matthew
2: Martin... And Raymond Montalban, who all made donations into the running of the show. You can do the same, just nip onto our website, theretrohour.com. Now also, we love your interaction as well. Oh, we've got some letters. Again, they're still coming through, Dan. Whenever I tap my papers on the desk...
1: Yeah. That's when you know I'm getting well, excited. Well, this is our little letter section. So if you want to contact us, it's show at the retrohour.com. Anything you want to say. I mean, a lot
2: of people have been telling us where they listen. Uh, some people have been telling us about events we've got coming up locally. Some people just want to talk about their games, collections, or maybe ideas for the show. We appreciate everyone, and uh, we read them at the start of every show. So do keep them coming in. We need letters to read out, and yeah. I print them out every week. Dan needs his paper. Sounds cool <laughs> on the desk. Yeah. So show at the retrohour.com. Now... You know, we've been getting pictures of where people listen to the show. Oh, yeah, they, I love these. We've had some amazing ones. This could possibly be the coolest one yet. Have a look at that. I haven't seen this yet.
1: What? Explain what you see. <laughs> I, I see, uh it's a gun being taken apart with the retro hour next to it. So, obviously, someone's cleaning their gun (laughs) (laughs) or it's driven someone to suicide this is uh, in the the postal theme (laughs) this fitting with this week's show Yeah.
2: yeah Uh, this is actually from Soren and uh, from Denmark. He goes, hey, guys, I'm a regular listener from Denmark. He works as a police officer.
1: Oh, wow. That's so cool. it's
2: very difficult to listen to his podcast while he's uh, sitting at his desk in a large office environment. But today he got back from the shooting range because he's also a shooting instructor and had to spend some time doing pistol maintenance in the basement room below the police station. The perfect place to listen to the Retro Hour.
1: As a British uh, guy, I'm just like, wow, because I've never, never seen a pistol or touch one. anything but like on that. handguns are illegal, I here. Yeah, they, yeah. so? I
2: couldn't identify the model, I'm afraid. No. Uh, we'll put that on our Facebook page. Oh, thank page. you so much for that. That, that. that was a real wow. Yeah, I, I saved yeah. that so Revy didn't see it before. And yeah. <laughs> also want to say a huge thank you, CB Meeks, who got in touch. Uh, short and sweet, he goes, Hey, guys, just found your show. I'm listening to the Retro Hour while designing a memory or audio device for the Commodore VIC-20.
1: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I've got a VIC-20. So. Yeah, hardware developments for the VIC-20 is what we need.
2: And this one here from Gavin. He goes, hey, guys, uh, speaking of, um, you know, Commodore machines, I started by making remixes or mixes of Commodore 64 songs, but more remixed in the traditional sense. Now, what he's doing at the moment, he's got a project and a SoundCloud page going where he's actually covering pop songs with all the vocals and everything, but he's taking the music out, putting the acapella over, and the sounds actually come from the Commodore 64 SID chip.
1: Oh, that's cool. So it's, yeah, like old-school remixes.
2: Yeah, it sounds awesome. And there's a large archive of raw Commodore 64 samples, and I use my own Commodore 64 music driver to build new sounds. I then sample in using a modern-day tracker. And what it kind of is, it's kind of a subgenre of chiptunes, he said, but obviously, you know, remaking modern pop songs. Apparently gets a bit of resistance from the, uh, the chiptune purists,
1: Yeah, as you can imagine. but Maybe a few of the uh, pop song copyright holders, I don't know.
2: Yeah, maybe we shouldn't play any or too much of them <laughs> on the show, but if you want to check it out, I will put a link to his SoundCloud and YouTube in this week's show notes at retrohour.com. Nice to hear from you, Gavin. And if you want to get in touch next week, of course, the email address, show at theretrohour.com. All
1: right, then, some interesting stories this week. Oh, yeah, there's been some great ones out here. And uh, I've kind of seen that Jeff Minter's been uh, busy, hasn't he? Now, Jeff,
2: obviously, is behind some of the most innovative games in history, going back to, like, the Specky and C64 days. And more recently, I've been playing um, Polybius,
1: Yeah, Polybius is a really trippy kind of visual game for, what is it, PlayStation VR, you're on it?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's like a standard 2D version as well, but the other VR version, that's kind of the one game that, you know, my mates that might not be that into VR, they'll come and sit down, and obviously it's a pick-up-and-play game, you can, you know, just get into it in seconds. And they're always, like, just blown away at the visuals on that game. Well, I even
1: saw that Nine Inch Nails used the video of Polybius as their main video for their new track, which is pretty cool. Well, it's very eye-catching, and also there are parts of that game that um,
2: take inspiration from Tempest. Yeah. Now, obviously, Tempest 2000 is kind of... We're going to talk a bit more about the Atari Jaguar in just a second, because there is some news about that this week. But, you know, I, I'm a Jag fan. Mm. I've had a Jag, you know, for a few years now, and I've always, you know, we've talked about this on the show before, that I do quite like the underdog consoles.
1: Definitely fans of the underdog here.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I've got a CDI and a 3DO and <laughs> yeah. all that, you know. But... I I do enjoy playing Tempest 2000 on the Jag, and I think that is probably the one title up there with Alien vs. Predator that people say is kind of the reason to get a Jaguar to play that version of the game. Mm. And obviously, even more obscure, he made Tempest 3000 on the new one.
1: Yeah, it's really strange as well, because I saw saw the graphics of Tempest 3000. I saw it had all been redone, and I thought, this is great but it's on this really obscure system and it's kind of hidden away from everybody, you
2: know? It was like a DVD player system that came out in the early 2000s, wasn't it? Yeah, really. We we played it actually at Play Manchester last year, didn't we? Yeah, on Jeff's uh, Lamasoft store. Yeah, and he had a little, uh, like, a a paddle controller with it as well he made, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. It was actually a really good game, but obviously, with that being on the new one, a lot of people haven't ever played it or a lot of people didn't even know about it, really. But now it turns out, this has been rumoured for years, but apparently, Jeff Minter... Could now be doing Tempest four thousand.
1: Oh wow! Well, it's going to be officially unveiled at uh, Gamescom,
2: apparently. So now Gamescom is obviously coming up next week. At the time of recording this show, and the reason this is such a big deal because um, Jeff actually did a port of Tempest for the PlayStation Vita. Now that was back in 2015, and the current copyright owners of Atari basically went to Jeff and said, "You're infringing our copyright. You've got to take this down, or we're going to sue you."
1: Wow, that's bad. Especially with Jeff, you know, because he's one of the top guys. <laughs> I don't, yeah. You
2: don't sue Jeff Minter. No, you don't. He's <laughs> lovely. He's got sheep. <laughs> <laughs> but now, it looks like the differences are in the past, and they're going to be releasing this on the current-gen consoles.
1: Oh, that's good, because a lot of people were saying, when there was this kind of rumor of Tempest 4000, they were saying, oh, is this going to be on the new Atari box then? And mm-hmm. Jeff's like, I'm talking with Atari, not the Atari box people, so... You're right, I think it is going to go into the other systems.
2: Yeah, PS4 and all that, you know, Xbox One, PC. Uh, but, you know, I remember that TXK, the game he had to pull down, it actually got some really good reviews. I mean, looking at the article that we'll, we'll link in our show notes on Retro Gamer, it got 96% wow. when they reviewed it, you know, back in 2014. So it's, um, you, you know, I think a lot of people have been waiting to get their hands on this game. People have missed it, you know, when it, when it originally came out. And
1: just having a new Tempest game by Jeff Minter all these years later it's just It's just fantastic, and the thing is as well, you know, kind of I thought it might be irrelevant, you know, because the new one it kind of got a bit buried, and people may not remember the Tempest' name, but then Polybius came out and i and I came down and saw Jeff's store, and there was ten year old sitting there with Polybius on, as amazed as the older guys, and I yeah. was like, this is still so relevant, this kind of gameplay, because it's totally unique.
2: And those visuals as well. I mean, it's is it basically a salt of the senses,
1: isn't it? All those different, like vibrant yeah, colors. Yeah, but it's not. Others. It's not. It's not like texture mapped, or it's not any of the kind of stuff that you'd expect with modern gaming, dynamic lighting, or anything. It's like crazy rainbow effects firing at your eyes, and you know, it's it's a total different style, and. Uh, I think it's great that it's coming to VR and that also it's going to be coming to consoles as well. Well, I
2: don't know if this um, new Tempest is going to be out on VR. I mean, you know, you may do it like you did on Polybius. But I think what's really interesting is, obviously, when Tempest 2000 came out on the Jaguar, it was such a departure from the original arcade game that came out back in the early 80s. I mean, he had the idea of putting, like, you know, all these kind of blowing up visuals on there, putting it over a a techno soundtrack. (laughs) It's like, if there's one thing Jeff always does, he'll do something you didn't expect with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally, yeah
1: it's flipping the idea of computer games
2: around yeah and obviously i think for him to be working on tempest 4000 he's obviously got some new ideas up his sleeve it's
1: not just going to be a port of 2000 oh definitely so. can't can't wait to see it i'm really excited
2: and the fact that it's going to be you know have a big audience as well because you got a bit unfortunate with the other ones having on the jaguar and yeah the new that's <laughs>
1: it and you know you, you could play it at a show or stuff but until it gets number one on the uh ps4 store you know it's It'll be a different story.
2: Well, I know 2000 did come out on the PlayStation and the Saturn, but they weren't anywhere near as good as a Jag version. So you know, it will be nice for people to find to get a chance to um, experience it in all its glory. We'll keep an eye on that story. Now, speaking of the Atari Jaguar, if you have got, you know, maybe an overwhelming urge to play Tempest 2000 on the bus... Yeah, <laughs> on the bus, yeah. You can do that now, because there is an Atari Jaguar emulator released for Android devices.
1: Oh, that's really cool because I can't afford a Jag, <laughs> so I'd love to play one. I could, If it's on Android devices, I could probably pay on my set-top box as well and have a wireless controller plugged in. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, this is called Errata Jaguar. Oh, nice. I've pronounce that right. <laughs> and the thing is, I mean, there have been lots of emulators for you know, different consoles released on Android. The Jaguar, though, I mean, not many people pay that much attention to it in, you know, the mainstream kind of emulation world. It is a bit neglected, you could say. But having an Atari Jaguar emulator will give people a chance to play games that maybe they've only read about or maybe, you know, explore like a whole new platform's library.
1: Play the first Rayman,
2: you know. Yeah. Well, they're saying at the moment, uh, apparently it's not quite up there in terms of running games smoothly if you haven't got really high-powered hardware. It is a little bit demanding at the moment, but it is only an early version.
1: Well, I I guess that's also with phones as well because, you know, it it all depends on the processor speed of phones because I've got an Android TV box and that's quad core. So I think that may be able to cope with it, whereas certain other phones it might be a bit laggy on, you know, some of the smaller Android ones.
2: Yeah, apparently on a Galaxy S4 you can run stuff like Atari Karts and Zool 2 and PowerDrive and Rayman, they all run fine. It's when you're getting stuff like, you know, Alien vs Predator and Doom and that kind of stuff. So you might need a bit more power, but it's cool that people are paying attention to the Jaguar and actually putting out emulators for free on mainstream platforms.
1: Yeah, I'm going to give this a go.
2: Well, I mean, there's not a massive library of good games on the Jag that are exclusive to it. But there is, you know, there's one or
1: two that I think people will play and they'll be pleasantly surprised. I think, Dan, this calls for a video. Dan's top 10 Atari Jaguar games, you know. Can I do five?
2: (laughs) 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 Not a bad shout, though. Not a bad shout. I actually did my top 10 Commodore 16 games recently. And it's the first time I've done a top 10 list and I wasn't ready for the the barrage of comments. I can't
1: believe you left this game out!
2: That's it. (laughs) People get really passionate about it, don't they? I can imagine. And this is a headline I never thought I'd see. The makers of KitKat are accused of copying Atari breakout in a game ad.
1: Yeah, I I saw this headline and I thought this was hilarious. Kit Kat getting sued by Atari. I was like, (laughs) is Atari going to keep going around suing everyone? Now they're moving on to candy bars. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Moved off Jeff Minter's back, now they're on Kit Kat's back. Yeah,
1: that's it. And uh, it's basically about this advert. So we all know Breakout, which is the classic game. Classic Atari game, yeah. Well, I've been trying to find a video of this advert, but it seems that... uh, Nestle have removed it from every place on the internet, but apparently it's the classic bakeout screen, and they replace the bricks with Kat bars, and yep. then invite customers to break out and buy more candy bars
2: See, it's interesting because, I mean, you're right this is an article on The Guardian, and if you scroll down, you know, we tried to watch the video and it says, sorry, this video doesn't exist we can't find it on YouTube anywhere. If we do manage to locate it, I'll put that in this week's show notes as well. I've not seen the advert yet
1: it was run in 2016, apparently. Okay. And uh, they, they have no new plans to rerun it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Uh, but apparently, you know, they were trying to um, appeal to Generation X and even, it says, even today's millennial and post-millennial gamers. Of course, you know, retro is big business now. And I think that kind of proves that point, that if KitKat are using <laughs> breakout to advertise, you know, chocolate bars.
1: Yeah. it's It's totally right. And the thing is a lot of people are doing that and a lot of companies now, I know a lot of independent companies that are putting, you know, stuff like Namco images on T-shirts that shouldn't be there and a lot of people that are just kind of thinking, oh, these are computer games, we can we can infringe on it and, you know, get into this retro culture kind of thing. You know, uh, I don't think it's right, you know, yeah, they should be sued. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, then you can look at it in another way. You think, how many breakout clones have there been over the years? And it's not like they're actually making a game, is it? It's just an advert, If isn't they
1: it? didn't have that line, break out and buy more
2: candy bars. But then, you know, KitKat have used to have a break, have a KitKat for like, what, 30 years? So, break's kind of in their advertising anyway. Yeah. I can see where you're coming from. But, I mean, looking at the comments here on The on the Guardian, the top one is it's not a copy, it's a homage.
1: A homage, so, okay. It, uh, yeah. I guess I I just don't like (laughs) Nestle. How can you not like Kit Kats?
2: (laughs) But, you know, it would be interesting to see because this could be actually a bit of a landmark kind of case because people kind of assume, and, you know, we see this in forums and stuff all the time. um, And you look at the amount of abandonware, as they call it, websites on the internet. People kind of assume that
1: games that are like 20, 30 years old are kind of back in the public domain. Well, there was that classic, classic thing with Timberland, where he stole a, a track from a C sixty four artist. Um, yeah. uh, asked, Lazy Jones, wasn't it? It was. No, no, no. That Lazy Jones was a Zombie Nation. Oh, yeah, and yeah. That was all official. But uh, he stole a track, and uh, they interviewed him, and you know he was getting sued by this guy, and he goes, "It's just a video game tune, man." Yeah, <laughs> you know, and that's the kind of attitude you have. You know, someone actually worked on this, and they created it. They came up with the concept. So that was a Rihanna song or something. I do vaguely remember it, wasn't it? Or, Acid
2: Jazzed Evening. I think that's what the tune was called. Or Kerry Hilson. I do vaguely remember it. Um, but quite interestingly, I think enough Timberland had gone to the guy, it's obviously not always easy to track down the original people all these years later who made them. But I guess, you know, if you ask permission half the time, they'll probably be like, oh, yeah, that's fine.
1: Yeah, Janny Sonny was the guy that um, originally made the tune. It was called Acid Jazzed Evening. Okay. And it was Nelly, F- Nelly Furtado Do It which was the cover right yeah, yeah I do remember that song
2: yeah and I remember hearing that and at the time thinking oh it sounds a bit like a bit like a Sid tune and obviously it was yeah, yeah
1: it was just ripped and put in the background
2: <laughs> so this could be a bit of an interesting case to see you know who does win this because then I mean it, it's got the potential to change quite a bit I mean I'm not suggesting that Abandonware websites are going to all vanish and everyone's yeah. going to behave but kind of you know if they do enforce these ancient copyrights maybe it will make people kind of
1: you never know I, I think people are very eager to jump on the retro thing at the moment
2: yeah, they are. And, you know, I, I do understand both sides of it. Nestle probably thought, oh, this is in popular culture now because it's such a well known game. And it'd mm. be like, but on the other side of it, if you actually came up with this, if you were the guy, obviously it's a different Atari now, but if they own the trademark and you were maybe the original programmer 30 years ago and someone's using it without your permission, you'd be a bit like, this is not, this is not on.
1: But I guarantee if you made Kit Kat with a C, IT, C A T, you would be sued to hell. Yeah, <laughs> probably. probably <you>
2: know. <laughs> on an Atari console. Yeah. yeah. Atari <laughs> should get their own back on this new Atari box. <laughs> they?
1: Yeah. It. it comes free with a kick.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so we'll keep an eye on that case. Could be interesting. Now, actually, you know, we talked about music um, sampling old computer tunes. What about turning that completely on its head? What about going the other way? Mm, yeah, that could be cool. Now, anyone that's been on holiday this summer, and I'm going to play five seconds in this, I'm going to talk over it so we don't get copyright strikes. Okay. but you may have heard this song this is a Despacito by Justin Bieber
1: oh god yeah it's been plaguing me man oh. <laughs> that's...
2: everywhere you go we're, oh, on yeah. we're on
1: holiday about what in June this must have been played around the pool about 40 times a day it makes me want to jump off a
2: building roof <laughs> that, that's it. well actually someone's made that into an 8
1: bit computer game music I bet it sounds much better do you want to hear yeah you see that I'd listen to play that on the radio
2: Reminds me a bit of like the Atari ST of the Specky.
1: Yeah, I think they should do this with all modern pop
2: songs. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people are like Aaron White. He does a lot of these tracks, doesn't he? Makes them into like old tunes. This is really good, I think. Ready? It's got that kind of crack, crack trophy, you know? Bouncy kind of bass. Yeah. Well, this is a guy called uh, Lord Vinheritio.
1: And those kind of sine waves, you know?
2: Yeah, it's very well done. And there's a video. I'll put this in our show notes as well. It's titled "What Despacito Would Sound Like as 80s Computer Game Music," and it's got like twenty thousand shares and one point five million views. Wow! In like yeah. twenty four hours. So, yeah, again, the retro thing becoming massive, isn't it? Yeah, it's really. I actually see the guy playing it on a keyboard as well. So, uh, yeah, like more of that kind of stuff. Well, the talking.
1: hilarious thing you mentioned, Iron White, there was that. Uh, you know, he did a he did a version of Shaggy's tune on the Amiga, yeah. and then Shaggy's producer actually got an Amiga emulator and played it to Shaggy. Like, That's just mad.
2: What well, technology can do these days. He wants to watch it, though, because that's how it starts, isn't it? Suddenly Shaggy's producer will be like, oh, maybe I'll get the original hardware. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Rip Aaron's tune going. Yeah. I remember that, you know. Ten years ago, I remember getting an Amiga 600 off eBay. And that's how it starts. All of a sudden, yeah. like ten years later, you've got about 20 Amigas in the house. So that's it. Dangerous hobby to get into. Now, before we get into this week's special guest, Vince Desi, and we talk about Postal and Spy versus Spy, there is apparently a SNES Mini killer.
1: Oh, yes. Well, you know, they're saying the kind of SNES Mini, it's been full of scalpers, and it's it's got certain things like, it's got a little flap there for your uh, games, but you can't actually put them in and play them, can you? What, the old games? Yeah, the old SNES games. Well, there's a new product coming out, and this is called the Super Retron HD, and it looks like a... Pretty cool product. It's uh, obviously not got all your branding on it, and uh, it's kind of a different shape. It's a bit more square than the uh, NES Mini.
2: It's a bit more like the American one.
1: Yeah, yeah, a bit more like the American one, but you can play your old games in it. That's the key. And, uh, you know, it has aspect ratios of 16 by 9 and 4 by 3 re- region switching, which is really good, and it will also do up to 720p. Upscale games nicely on HDMI? Yeah, they haven't announced a price yet or anything or any massive kind of tech specs, but um it looks like it, it could be an interesting entry into that kind of retro remake market.
2: Well, it's the thing. I mean, you buy this uh, the SNES Mini off Nintendo and it's obviously just got the games bundled with it, those 30 titles that they pick, and you can't get any more. But I'm not really looking at this. I'm thinking, what's the advantage of getting this over an original Super Nintendo?
1: Yeah, just it you save your hardware a bit or it might, it might have the 720p. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. That's just the upscaling, you know.
2: I mean, I imagine it is probably cheaper and less effort to buy one of these than it is to actually, you know, RGB mod or maybe put an HDMI upgrade into an original Super Nintendo. And
1: it seems to be compatible with all the original peripherals and uh, kind of, you know, uh, plugins. So the Snaz Mini... Would not be compatible because you know it has those weird new Nintendo plugs. But this one, you could get all your old mad devices in there. Probably your Super Scope and go mad on it. You know,
2: <laughs> need the CRT telly there. Look, it has got AV outs as well, so yeah, you can still play all those games. And there's uh, even a picture here on this article on Funstock Retro. Uh, someone's actually got the old um, <laughs> Mario Paint mouse plugged into it as well. So yeah, there you go. Have all-night Mario Paint sessions. (laughs) So I think it is cool when people do remake the classic consoles like that. Again, it's always like you'd wonder how they kind of skirt around Nintendo especially, but, you know, it's interesting.
1: I guess nowadays as well they don't have to have all the custom chips in them and all that stuff. They can just use an Android board or some weird stuff like that so that maybe skips it yeah it looks a cool lot of product
2: either way I think uh, you know obviously we're starting to think about Christmas presents in the next four or five months so can't believe how
1: quickly this year's going well wedding presents coming soon for you I know it, yeah.
2: Well, we've got, yeah I've got about six weeks now till the big day
1: yeah put this on the list well
2: the time recording this my stag do tomorrow isn't it oh god <laughs> yeah we're off to Leeds what time about nine in the morning
1: yeah I hear about the stories next week if we can remember Eddie. if we're still alive yeah
2: <laughs> so thank you for checking out episode number 85 of the Retro Hour podcast we'll be out again next Friday from the com. Uh, please do keep getting in touch on social media as well we've had that many new followers recently so if you do yeah. want to find us we're on all of them aren't we yeah spread us about a bit so we're on Facebook just search for the Retro Hour podcast yeah Instagram all of that uh, Twitter well, Retro Hour UK on Twitter and yeah, Instagram so we've been posting some interesting stuff I got an Amazon Echo this week so you can see how easy it is actually to listen to the Retro Hour on the Amazon Echo
1: I'm scared having that voice in my house <laughs> <laughs>
2: actually if anyone's got one should we, should we try something Alexa Play the Retro Hour podcast. you crew, cruel, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Alexa, volume 10. There'll be people running over to it there. Yeah. <laughs> Xbox off. No, stop there. No, no. Okay, we'll see you next week. And now it's time to get controversial. This week's special guest, he's got such an amazing voice as well. Picture this guy in his flat in New York. He's amazing. Vince Desi, the guy behind the legendary postal, is this week's special guest. And we'll see you next Friday.
1: Retro Hours going post.
2: You're listening to the Retro Hour podcast, and let's welcome on this week's very special guest, Vince Desi.
1: Yeah, so, um, what was your first gaming experience?
0: My first gaming experience, I mean, we're talking video game, was a game... Uh, That was my favorite game when I was very much younger. It was called Duck Hunt on the Atari 2600.
1: Yeah, it was one of the kind of first shooting games, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it was. It was one of the early shooting games. So that Uh, that was my very first. I mean, I, I didn't really care about asteroids and space invaders. I mean, played a little bit, but... I mean, I love duck I, mean, it's, 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 I You know, I've done almost, God knows, over 500 interviews. Nobody's ever asked that question. But
2: <laughs> well, what was the first computer you got at home then? Your first machine at home?
0: God, what was the first one? Um, I had the original Mac. I had a Neck NEC 326, it was called. That was a portable computer. They, they didn't have laptops. First computer I worked on was a dumb terminal, an IBM 3270. But in terms of a gaming machine, it was the Atari 2600. Yeah. All the, classics. the Early machines. <laughs> well,
2: one game I remember, you worked on the, uh, the Commodore 64 game, Spy versus Spy. Right. Um, tell us right. a bit about that game that then. Was, How did that happen?
0: Atari, the original Atari, was based out of, um, I think it was Sunnyvale, California. And they were bought, by warner brothers which now became time warner and that was around 1979 or 80 they were bought and one of my friends was one of the original three uh founders of atari everybody knows nolan bushnell but there was actually other people involved um anyway one (laughs) one of the lead engineers for the atari 2600 was a jewish guy from chicago but he married a Jewish girl from New York. So when Warner Brothers bought the company, they created a New York office, which is where I was living at the time. And I became, I started with them as a consultant. So I started hiring programmers and artists. Um, And we had one sound guy. We had maybe, I don't know, we we might have had about six programmers in the office, maybe six artists and one audio guy. So that's how I got started. And then Atari, uh, it fell apart in about six months. They had a lot of problems. And actually everybody got paid for like about a year. Everybody walked out of the building with all the computers and TV. back then everybody had it all hooked up to TV sets. Um, and then I, I, I teamed up with one of the uh, people that I got a job for at Atari, uh, a, a guy named Mike Rydell. And we, I, I got to put a deal together for, to create Spy versus Spy uh, and we worked, we did the first one, the second one, we didn't do the third one, the third one was done by somebody else. Yeah, but even before that, I, we had a game called uh, Bristles on the Commodore 64 and the very first title I did that I was responsible for uh, was something called Sorcerer's Apprentice, which was an art utility for the Commodore 64.
1: Yeah, you were working with uh, entertainment software as well and kind of a children's television workshop and Disney stuff. It must have well, given you a license, a background in licensing games.
0: It, it did. What happened was back then, New York was really not an epicenter for anything to do with the game industry. It was all Northern California. It was all Silicon Valley. Even LA wasn't happening at that time. And what happened was, as a result of doing Spy vs. Spy, which was a well-known... You know, it's a it was a major brand, and it was owned by it was owned by Warner Brothers. Um, Children's Television Workshop, which is Sesame Street, they're based in New York, so it's a very small community. So then I, I don't remember what the first title I did for them, but we went on and you know did maybe like close to ten games for Sesame Street, uh, Bert and Ernie shit, you know alphabet stuff, all, all kinds of stuff. And then from there I did a the very first WWF title. I don't even remember the name of the publisher. They went out of business. Oh, they were called Micro League Sports. I think it was Micro League Software Sports, something like that. And uh, so it all it all was licensing. Every I mean, you know, it was from Warner Brothers to Sesame Street to Disney to Hanna-Barbera. Throughout the 80s, there was no... I mean, while the games were all original design, that but they were all based on licensed characters.
1: Well, how did... Running with scissors, form, you know, you you were an edutainment software company and you decided to kind of change into a mature gaming company. It's like total opposites.
0: <laughs> well, what what happened was we were really, you know, what's what's generally considered a work for hire company. And so we were doing a variety of titles. Um, mostly they were entertainment, somewhat what they were calling edutainment. And then actually... When we started working on the uh, original Postal, we were even doing straight educational games. I did something for Scholastic, something for Grolier. Um, I'm trying to think of another company. I don't remember them out in Colorado. But we were, like, literally doing, like, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade math, uh, things like that. So long story short, in 96, we were all, I mean, I was tired. You know, everybody in my team, that because I had moved the company in 92 from New York to arizona and you know it's one thing to get into the industry people are excited it's creative you're working oh it's cool i'm working with mickey mouse or you know all it's it's really you know it's exciting but you know the excitement really falls off fast and we had in the office a robotron arcade machine and you know most people in the office they were were playing uh, the original doom um And it was the whole idea was like, okay, look, we need to create our own original game and basically have our own IP because while we were very successful as a work-for-hire developer, you never really make any royalties. You never really see any money. You know, it's just all contract work. So we decided, and I said, look, we're going to do this on our own. Let's make an outrageous game, something that I wanted, you know, something that I wanted to play myself. And it was just the idea of, I was so tired of games that were always, you know, horror or or space or um, zombie. I mean, that was always the thing. It's always been sci-fi. And I'm not a sci-fi guy. I I, I don't care for it. I'm much more into humor or drama. So the idea was, is let's make a game, you know, pseudo-based or semi-based on reality. And the original Postal, actually the maps and many of the missions were all based on things that really exist in Southern Arizona. Um, and and the, the city itself, Paradise, is based on a town called Bisbee, Arizona, which is an old mining town. So the whole artistic style, we, we basically took inspiration from a real city. And, and so what happened is in 96, I didn't know that what was going to happen in terms of the, the crazy response, you know, politically. So we still had the other company that was working on education games. And that's really how we funded doing, you know, self-funded doing Postal. But after Postal came out, tremendous attention. Uh, Sesame Street dropped us. All the educational companies didn't want to, you know, they were like, look, they love us. We did great work, but they were like, we can't be associated with you because you guys Mm -hmm. made Postal. And we were like, yeah, okay, fine, you know? And, And that's really how it all began. We know, your initial ideas for Postal, did it change much in development to what the
2: final product became? And what was people's reaction when you first proposed this title?
0: In, in the original Postal, it's kind of a three-quarter view, if you will. And two of the original levels are top down. There's a bridge level and I forgot the other. But we we really just using a real town as the basis for the environment. And the whole idea was, this, look, you're basically, you know, I don't refer to him as a white trash dude, but you you know you're basically a, a guy living in a trailer, and everything goes wrong. Okay, and we and we kept it very non-specific. You know, the postal dude. I didn't want to call. You know, I didn't want to have a lead character with a name, or a hero, or an anti-hero. We just went for it. You know, and and literally, you know, it was like as things were developing, it's like okay, what else can we do? And that would be fun. And you know, to me, fire. When I was a kid, I, I just always loved. Fire fire. And so the idea was, I said, look, you know, let's, let's add fire into the game. And then I was like, well, you know, a fire by itself is like, okay, but what could we do? Give people, you know, make people aware of what you could do with fire. And so then I came up with the idea of the marching band and that was pretty wild. I mean, the, you know, this is all 20 years ago, guys but the, a reaction to setting the marching band on fire, which I loved and everybody loved. Everybody's seen it and laughing their ass off. But, you know, we did get some people going like, that's sick, you're setting a marching band on fire. I'm like, well, you know, it's a f- game.
1: I think it was a very kind of reflective at the time as well, that um, kind of American, you know, teenage waste waster kind of attitude uh, with the black trench coats and the anarchist cookbook and all of that kind of stuff. It fit into that area and no one had addressed that
0: you know yeah no it did i mean it was you know it had that certain uh you know the whole black goth nirvana popularity at the time but but you know for us or at least speaking for myself i i you know postal one versus postal two postal two is obviously much more humor in your face like slapstick whereas in postal one it's clearly a dark humor but that's my sense of humor it's like, to me, it's funny. I mean, I, I always get back to, it. like, look at our tagline. It's always funny until somebody gets hurt. And then it's absolutely friggin' hysterical. Now, in real life, look, I don't <clears> want <throat> around the world today. It's hideous. I think if pe- if more people played games, would be a lot less real violence in the world. So that's a whole nother topic. But so, you know, for me, you want to watch, you know, what, what kind of movies you like or what kind of TV, sh- you know, series you, you like. You know, just because it might be somewhat dramatic, in a dramatic fashion, it doesn't mean it's not funny. And uh, one thing
1: I loved about that game was the art style as well. You know, the kind of hand-drawn backgrounds. And uh, it was
0: was just beautiful. My art director, his name is Randy Briley. He's no longer in the business. He left a long time ago. He was a great artist. I mean, he actually did an oil on canvas, gave it to me once as a gift. It's a beautiful work. Um, Randy was a tremendous artist and he had he had that dark element in his work. And when we first started that, because before that, you know, we're using all kinds of, you know, art utilities, et cetera, you know, for all the, the license shit. And it was really his idea. He said, let's paint the backgrounds. And I was like, that sounds phenomenal. Cause I mean, I love art and, you know, it was just another, let's do something different. You know, when you, when you worked on, I was working on games for, I don't know, it's been almost 15 years. I can't even believe that. Jesus. You're working for publishers, or actually not just a publisher, you're working for a licensing company. The, your creative bandwidth is very limited. You know, everything has to get approved. I mean, artistically, they give you art guides, you know, and you, you got to follow it. But even in terms of what you could design into the game, <coughs> etc. You know, so being able to work on the original Postal, the, the best part about it was we had no script. You know, we, we, we came up with a bunch of ideas, missions, adding stuff on the fly. Uh, it, it was really a fun process, very different than the way things get done today.
2: Well, obviously, I mean, a couple of years later, it made the headlines all around the world, the, the Columbine massacre in 1999. I mean, I know yeah. Postal had been on sale for a couple of years then, but did
0: you guys get any like, kind of backlash off that? Well, we did, and what happened was, in the very first year that Postal came out, see, we got attacked originally by what's the, the Postal Service here, the United States Postal Service because I trademarked the word postal, so we own it. And the post office sued me, it took seven years, I won. But the FBI came after us. Um, You know, we got tremendous amount of press, mainstream press, uh, and it was always really funny. And just, I mean, it's, you know, the mainstream press was as corrupt back then as they are today. I I mean, we would have people come to the office, or I would, would, you know, talk to, you know, so-called journalists uh, by phone. And, you know, they were always very nice and very friendly and ask all these great questions and everything. And then I'd read the story that they printed in the newspaper. uh, And I quickly learned that they're basically a bunch of, most of them are scumbags and they're just really opportunistic people that are trying to get a bang for their own personal career. Because, you know, they've rubbed that attitude. If they print it, it's real. But uh, that was a very early lesson in learning. Just because you read it or see it on TV, it doesn't mean it's, it's true.
1: So um, what triggered the choice to take Postal into the kind of 3D first-person shooter area?
0: In Postal 2, well, by that time, you know, first-person uh, games had become much more popular. And we also, again, wanted to do something different. I, I always like doing something different every time around. It, it's, it's just, I don't know, it's just the way I am. You know, one of the things is, and a lot of people don't know this, or if they do, they don't, it's not said much. You can play Postal 2 and play Postal 1 non-violent. Very difficult. Very, very difficult. But one person in the office actually did it. But in Postal 2, once you get into this, you know, a larger environment, open world, uh, and you're giving players choice. And also we had the NPCs in the game, which also opened up a lot more interaction and different things you could do. And and, and to me, it's a much more fun way. I mean, it's okay to have straight, linear missions, uh, more like side missions, if you will. But I I really enjoy the open world.
1: Yeah, I thought the idea of a task list was fantastic because before you kind of had kill everybody in the area and then move on. Yeah. But with the task list, you walked around and you're trying to get on with your tasks, but people were picking on you, you know, annoying you, dogs were attacking you, and you ended up
0: getting in a gunfight and, you know, chaos. Well, what I wanted to say to that point was the Robotron, if you don't know it, you could, you know, Google it, was an old arcade game where you basically popped up a screen and you were a shooter, like these little characters, and you had so many enemies on the screen. And the only way to, to progress, you had to kill everybody on the screen and you went to the next level and the next level and the next level. And that was really the original uh inspiration for the postal design and that whole idea was is every level you basically you couldn't you know you couldn't proceed uh unless you wiped out the level whereas in postal 2 obviously you you, you can play for an hour or two. you can play as long as you want before you go get milk yeah. it, and, and, and you don't have to do things in order and you know I really opened it up and I mean in postal 2 there was a lot more to the game than I think well I don't know we, you know we've got a tremendous fan base I mean we really do you know, we're, we're kind of in that category, if you, if you know us, you love us. Yeah, I don't so think
1: I've played a game where, where it actually feels like such a living city as Postal 2, even in Grand Theft Auto as well. It's really strange.
0: Yeah, well, that was the whole idea, you know, and not just using, uh, you know, the sound effects and the audio. But there was somebody, I remember, was, once they wrote me and they had said, oh, you know, I was playing and I really didn't shoot anybody. I was being very evasive. And they were watching just the NPCs go about their daily day. And the guy was basically telling me he was like a voyeur. (laughs) (laughs) The the people, some of the NPCs, they were really very smart. And you could follow somebody home. And they went into their house. And we didn't even know when we were making it how great the potential for exploration was. And, you know, you can only do so much design and so much playtesting. And fans will find stuff that you just could, you know, really weird kind of, you know, possibilities between yourself and the NPCs and NPCs with other NPCs. It was really crazy shit. It was great. Well, one thing I was
2: quite curious about is obviously, you know, the PlayStation 1 was a console that really kind of took gaming into the grown-up era. Obviously, we had stuff like Grand Theft Auto on there. Why did you um, only release Postal, like,
0: on computers, not actually, like, on the PlayStation? The, the biggest reason is we've been, a, we, we're an independent development company, uh, like, a true honest indie development company. Okay, um, you know we don't get $10 million, dollars million from Activision or something like that. In order back then to publish to self-publish on the consoles, you had to have a big balance sheet. Now it's not like today you could do you know con, uh, digital on console. Back then, you you, you know you, you had to make you had to make a hard product. So it was you know really something that you could only do if you had big bucks. When we did Postal Two, we had started working with a couple publishers and their intention was to do it, but it never really got off the ground. They just never had the financial power to, to do it.
1: How did you get Gary Coleman involved? I want to know how how you sold it to him and what his reaction was. You
0: know, well, you know, first I'd just like to tell you is that he actually he was a great guy. He really was. You know, when we were make, designing the game and coming up with missions and oh, you know, you sign my petition and we had the chat and the voting. It was Bush and Gore and all that crazy nonsense. I don't have an interest in doing what everybody does. Okay. And then somehow Gary was always in and out of the news back then. Cause he was always, you know, getting arrested. What happened was, I mean, it sounds crazy. I uh, found out he had a, like an agent manager. And I called him and he said, okay, I'll give you the, you know, get love, give the information to Gary. I said, great. And then the next thing I know, like five minutes later, I get a phone call. Hi, can I speak to Vince? And I said, yeah, this, and right away, I mean, I, I knew it was Gary, you know what I mean? It's, like, you don't get a phone call from that type of voice uh, often. And he was really, you know, great on the phone, uh, very interested. He wasn't a big gamer. He, his whole thing was, I want to shoot and kill everybody. In the beginning, he was like, I don't want to be killed. I said, Gary, you got we got to kill you. Okay. I said, That's, I said but don't worry. It's a game. He goes, okay, I, as long as I don't die and it's... For, no, no. I said, not a problem. He goes, oh, really? You know? So then Gary came, we met him, I went to L.A. He just There's a lot of Gary stories, but that's for another interview.
1: Well, as you said, you, you yourself were in the game, and uh, you had most of the Running With Scissors staff, and uh, they were kind of defending the office from invading protesters.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that office is based on, I mean, what you see in the game is somewhat uh, of an actual resemblance to the office we had back then, you know, it was the internet was a lot newer, and so we had everybody on the one roof. You know what I'm saying? We, we had a much bigger office today. It's a virtual. We we operate much more virtually. So you know, we put and if, if I don't know if you guys how familiar with it, but you know, that was my office. There are things in my office in the game that are actually in my office in real life. Where that office at the time, Mike J's office was not. He had a real office. It wasn't in the bathroom, but. <laughs> When we were making the game, he's like, I want my office to be in the bathroom. So Mike J's office is in the bathroom, in the game.
1: I, I also love the apocalypse. I think that was, a, a, when, when it actually happened, that was a, a great kind of mode. Everyone just going crazy. And it reminds me of like riot modes in like GTA and other games that you have later on.
0: Well, you know, I think the real key to being uh, an original content developer is to always be trying to do something different see new is good but you know one of my basic principles is especially you know in terms of the postal series is is it fun to play which obviously should be a basis for all games is it fun to watch there aren't a lot of games that people want to watch other people play you know i grew up on arcade machines and you know i i, I didn't grow up with a, an iphone or an android in my hand so for me, being artistic came quite naturally. And we just take it to another level. I like Mike J's offices in the bathroom, you know, things like that. Well,
2: what was it always your intention with the Postal Series to have um, lots of expansion packs? Because it kept it, you know, kept it alive for a long well, time, didn't it? Well, when we first made it,
0: I mean, way back when in the original, we made it, then we added on um, special delivery. We did a little Christmas pack. You know, it was all about supporting the product and building it. And then we ran into, you know, all the the political pressure with Postal 2. And then we came back with Apocalypse Weekend. But what happened was, being a small independent developer, we have got a tremendous team of people. Several of my guys are in the UK. And we just keep, you know, the fans, I mean, every day, it's 20 years, every day fans write me. Literally for 20 years, I get fan mail every day. I answer every single email I get, okay? So when you wrote me, Ravi, and you're like, hey, I'm doing this show, you know, it's kind of retro, whatever, and I was like, cool. Look, I've done CNN Live, Fox, I've done, but at the same time, while you might not have the audience of CNN, I don't care. You called me, you, you, you know, you have an audience, and it, everybody deserves to, you know, hear about it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I, like I don't understand. I, sometimes I'll get uh, guys like yourselves, journalists, and they'll be like, "Hey, that's so cool. I really appreciate it." You know, you got, you wrote me back. Well, my mm-hmm. mother taught me to say thank you when I was a kid. You know.
1: Well, also, I think it was it was such a pioneering title as well because, especially with the weapons choices, like it's one of the first games I played where you can. You know, throw scissors at somebody, or you could urinate on them and then set them on fire it, whilst on crack. Yeah. You know, well, it, was, it was so creative well, you in know, that sense.
0: Yeah. People would ask me, like, what's my favorite weapon? I mean, well, I look, obviously, I love the gas can, but that's really more to do with just my adolescent. I just never grew up. But the shovel there's something about the show to me it's the sound okay that sound i mean let's face it to watch a movie without sound it's a whole different experience okay when you hear that shovel uh, banging against somebody's head see one of the things was is we wanted to give people choice okay and not just oh i want to play violently or i want to play peacefully no that's that's fine that's a style of gameplay but what i like to see is the creativity in the gameplay what people do you know that that's just endless i mean people would make long, long trails of gasoline, but they'd build piles of of heads. I mean, it was, I mean, I I mean, but again, I find that funny and a lot of people do. Then of course you get certain people going, well, you know, and I always loved this one. I'd have publishers tell me, or some journalists would say, Hey, look, man, like I really like it, but you know, I can't say that. We had several game reviewers, several, I don't mean one, okay, several. I'd give it like a nine, easy. Love the game. Next day I'd get an email, Hey, look, man, I'm really sorry, but like my editor wouldn't even let me do, you know, run the story. And I was like, okay, run it anyway. And then we just make fun of that. You know, so we, we even make fun of the journalist. If you're a critic, okay, that's one thing. But if you're a journalist, a true game journalist, I don't know if you guys know a person named Bill Kunkel. He's, he's passed on now. I know Bill since 1979. Bill was a great guy. He's the founder, or was the co-founder of Electronic Games Magazine, like 1977, the very first video game magazine. He would review games by playing the entire game, start to finish, every element of the game, etc. It wasn't just a bash a game.
1: Well, the movie as well, it was uh, frankly insane. <laughs> and uh, I absolutely thought it was a mad romp. Um, you must have had a great fun kind of doing that movie
0: it was a blast i mean we get on site uva's great by the way he is a madman but he's really a nice guy i mean and you know he's different whatever you want to call it but we're on the movie set and they're like hey we've been looking for you you got to get over to makeup and i'm like well okay well i didn't know it was going to be today they said yeah 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 they said we were over your trailer we couldn't find you i was like my trailer i didn't even know i had a trailer until the third day i was there Yeah, it was so cool. Like, you, know, you go to the trail; it's got Vince Desi's name on the door. I mean, after that, forget about it. I had my own trailer. We, you, you could just imagine. But uh, I didn't even know. I, I, I go with the flow. I take everything as, as, as it comes.
1: Well, Postal Free was a highly anticipated game, but it wasn't actually you guys that did it. You worked with Trashmaster Studios. Yeah. yeah.
0: What did you think of that game? They were great guys. They were a very good publishing company in, in Russia. Very successful. We were based, Postal was the GTA of Russia. They came to us and said, look, we want you to do Postal 3. We'll fund it. Okay. The agreement was we would design it and we would do all the character art. Okay. And they would do all the coding and background art. And, you know, we were sharing the audio and that kind of responsibility. About a, about a year into it, uh, the political climate in Russia got very heated and their economy collapsed. They lost the team. People you know, went and started being programmers for banks and advertising agencies and companies like that. What happens? They start adding the B team. The B team, by the second, gone. By the time the product came out, there was a lot of difficulty, you know, in the, in the I would say the last 18 months of that project because they took it all over. We, we, we pretty much stopped being involved, you know, a year before it was done and it was never done. So that became a problem into itself. Look, they're good people. And unfortunately that's that's what happened to Postal Three. So we don't support it. And people ask, I mean, look, it's you gotta understand they were shipping a game that it didn't even work. So I, I, I just couldn't support that. I that's that's all. But there's a lot of crazy fun shit in the game. Jen Walcott, you know, super hot playboy playmate. You got Randy Jones. I mean, come on, he's the he's the original cowboy from the village people, and I love it. Well,
1: we, you kind of amazed that people were still playing Postal 2 as well and uh, kind of went to do a, a remake of it recently, uh, a Redux. Well,
0: Redux was a complete new remake of Postal 1, the original game. Ah. So it's all new art it, and basically really was, because back then, you know, we, it's just <clears throat> using new technology. So the game runs a lot smoother, the characters are nice you know, it's, it's just a, look, it's 20 year later technology. But that's just a, a remake of the original postal. Our goal is to get on console with a postal, you know, a new postal title, and I'm beyond confident that it will do super well because, you know, one of the I got an email. This is funny. About six months ago, I got an email. Some kids writing, "My dad introduced me to Postal," and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, really, I, you know, I'm, I'm reading this. I'm going, "You got kidding?" His dad was, you know, whatever, 25. Well, the kid's 15. His father's 40. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I was like, I was so blown away with that. I mean, but, you know, so we really, you know, we live for our fans. I mean, I know everybody says, oh, I got the greatest fans in the world. And they believe it and they mean it. And I'm happy for them. I not only believe it, my fans have made it reality. And, And it's very simple. Respect people. You know, we respect our fans. We listen to our fans. You know, and that's that's the key. That's really the key. And
1: there's still so, a massive online multiplayer community for Postal Two as well.
0: Oh, it's, I remember when there was a thousand reviews, five to ten. There's over twenty thousand reviews. We got a, we got a, like ninety five percent. And even on Steam, I forgot how many games there were, like gazillion games, and we were ranked a hundred and something out of. Uh, all the games on Steam, whatever it is, thousands and thousands of games. I mean, really phenomenal when you think about that. You know, I mean, so we're good. It's all good.
2: Well, I remember like a couple of years ago, you you guys said you're going to release the uh, the Postal One source code, but only if someone promised to port it to the Dreamcast.
0: Yes, yeah, somebody. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are working on Postal for fun for the fans. You know, not so much to be a commercial for sale release, but just you know freeware but I don't know I, I, I mean I haven't heard from the Dreamcast guys in a while but not too long ago actually but I know they're working on it and uh, and there's other, there's other folks I had somebody not long ago tell me they want to put it on the Amiga I was like okay <laughs> you know I mean <laughs> if you can you know if you can get it on the Amiga go for it we have somebody now that wants to that Postal 2 may come out on mobile next year
1: do you, do you ever think we'll see a, a VR postal
0: well I would love it. We, we're all VR'd up in the office, and we've been you know, playing around with it. I mean, for us as a small indie developer, it's get very expensive to develop, and there's no user base out there. And we, and we do have to make our money back. We sell fun, but we have to make our money back. Well, what are the future plans for the Postal Series, and are we going to get a new game? We're leaving in about five minutes when I get off the phone. I'm going to buy the Chinese food. We're in New York at my, my, my family's house, Mike's here with me. We're gonna eat some dirty Chinese, and then we're gonna to go to the airport, and then we're flying to, to, to Germany. So we yeah, things are coming. Postal is alive and well and breathing, especially the way the world is today. The world needs Postal. I'm committed to world peace. I was a big John Lennon fan. You know, everybody has their own way of going about it. And I, and I do seriously believe, I used to always say, you know, violence belongs in games. It's, it's kind of like a, a punch bag, isn't it? You know, many years ago, I had a, a psychiatrist call me up. He was in Texas. We bought like a dozen copies. And he said, look, he goes, I want to I give this to certain patients because I think the whole cathartic experience, okay. I, I mean, I was like blown away, quite frankly. But then over the time, I mean, I've had people write me, I want to com- you know oh, I was I was at one time I was suicidal I, I play postal and when you communicate with fans and they become somewhat of a personal relationship I mean some people will write you personally they'll start sharing more personal information I'm a big believer in reciprocity you gi- we give our fans take and then our fans give us well, Vince,
2: it's been amazing to talk to you, and you know, I can't believe it's been 20 years since the original postal came out, and it's obviously still as alive as ever. Okay. So,
1: listen, I thank you so much. I do have to run, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing any news as well. We'll keep an eye on all the social media networks and stuff.
0: Well, absolutely, guys. Look, anytime you want, just you know, touch base, okay.
2: Cheers. Fantastic. Have a safe flight. Lovely to talk to you.
0: All the best to you guys. Thank you, Thank you so much. For a man who believes in me, I see the world red. I feed my own fears, vomit out instead. And in his head, it turns. And his world's like totally psychopathic thoughts. Revenge and violence. For a moment, silent, then the silence stops. Unemotional pain, serial killer thoughts. Pops with shotguns and the heat of blends. Don't die. The first try, then I shoot again. People always judging me, now it's my turn to judge. Do I let you keep your breath? Or do I burn you from know, the Do I hang you with the bells? maybe it's not dead games. You're running down your remains, I know that I'm insane. People like to make me snap. I like to snap them, break them, make them. scream for the lives straight for your life, cause I'm shooting for mine. I'm Loco, Loco, I'm going both the line. Return birds from the super ego, unnatural, nasty, a hero, super.